Good morning and happy third Sunday of Advent. My name is Tommy Allen. I am the lead pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church, and we are glad you are here. This morning is our 22nd uh, sermon in the series, Every Story Whispers His Name, and today is like sort of the big day. We've looked at the, the whole Old Testament up to today, and today we get into the birth narrative of Jesus. And I thought before we do that, I would read the Advent reading from the liturgical calendar. If you're, if you're not familiar with Advent, remember it simply means coming. And during the season of Advent, we both celebrate and we anticipate um, that we celebrate the coming of Jesus in the past and we anticipate his coming in the future. And we celebrate and anticipate his coming into our lives right now during this season. And so today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 47. It's called the Magnificat, and it's, it's this time right after Mary has met with Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and basically had uh, the angel Gabriel's um, words confirmed to her that she, in fact, will birth the Messiah. So here's what she says. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. Amen and amen. Why don't I open us with prayer this morning? Father, I do pray that you would come right now um, in and through the, your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that you would open our, the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Christ's name we pray all these things, amen and amen. So before I launch into the text this morning, uh, I want to remind you of a couple things. We did our first Advent sing-along last Sunday evening at five o'clock on Zoom, and we are doing it again this evening. And so you can find the information in the discussion section below. And so I want to begin today, and, oh, and don't forget the ugly sweater contest. I think you have till the 16th. Um, I don't own any sweater, so not sure what I'm supposed to do there. Either way. Um, I thought I would begin this morning, as I always do, generally speaking, with a question. And the question that I have this morning is directed to one particular individual, Mary. Did you know? Right? Mary, did you know? Think of that famous song, Mary, Did You Know? Um, I have a love-hate relationship with that song. I the the love is I, I think I love singing it. I think it's a great song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy? Right, awesome. On the other hand, it's sort of borderline heresy. Think about it. You, you meet Mary, you die and go to heaven, and you say, Mary, did you know that your baby would one day walk on water? That your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. 
right? And then you get to the end of the song. It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now, when we sing that song or we listen to that song being sung, it just sounds so profound. And yet, if you ask Mary herself, if you were in heaven right now and said, Mary, did you know all these things? I think she would say, you know, I was, I, I don't know about the water or giving sight to the blind man, but didn't surprise me. All the rest of the stuff, of course I knew. Gabriel told me before it even happened. In other words, Gabriel, the, the, what we're going to look at this morning is we're, basically in the Jesus Storybook Bible, this particular chapter covers the announcement to Mary of the birth of Jesus and his birth in a, in a stable in uh, Bethlehem. And I'm going to cover the announcement part this morning, and we'll look at the birth at the end in, on Christmas Eve. So to the question, Mary, did you know? The answer is, of course she knew. And we know from the Bible that she knew, and we know from the way she responds to Gabriel's announcement that she was crystal clear on what he was telling her. And so I'm excited. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at a surprising announcement. We're going to look at a glorious promise. And then we're going to, the last thing we're going to consider is an honest question. So a surprising announcement, a glorious promise, and an honest question. We're going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 1, verses 27 through 38. And so, first thing, surprising announcement. It, before we jump into this, we need to build a little bit of context because what happens immediately before this passage um, helps us to see in relief what Mary's announcement is, is like and how her response is different than the one that came before it. If you remember, right before this is this announcement to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. He's married to a woman named um, Elizabeth, and she is barren, right? That should remind us of someone, people in the Old Testament. We've, we've met a few barren women over the course of the past several weeks as we preach through the Old Testament. And basically, this angel, Gabriel, who is God's messenger, shows up while Zechariah is ministering in the temple. Now, just to give you a little idea, Zechariah was a man, he was privileged, he had power, he had influence, he had everything except a child. And the fact that he and Elizabeth had made it into their old age um, and had not conceived a child and that she was barren would have been a source of reproach and a source of disgrace for them. So he has everything in the world. And what is, is going to be announced to him now is even your disgrace is going to be removed. Now listen to what it says. So the angel comes to him and says to him, your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son and you shall call his name John. That's in verse 13 of chapter 1. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. If you skip down to verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people prepared. And if you remember, we looked at that last week in Malachi. The very last thing the Bible said is that Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers and prepare people for the Lord. 
And the angel comes to Zechariah and says, your wife is going to have a, a baby boy named John, and he is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's the one, the forerunner before the Messiah. And how does Zechariah respond to that? Well, to quote a um, recent presidential candidate, Zechariah basically says, come on, man, come on. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So he responds basically um, with doubt. He's like, how, am I, how, do I, how can I know this, right? And Gabriel, I love Gabriel's response to this. Gabriel says in verse 19, and the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stayed in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It's like there's an angel there and you're sort of doubting. Gabriel basically says, you're going to be struck dumb. You won't be able to speak until the baby is born. But when he is born, remember, remember to name him John. And so Gabriel leaves to make his next announcement, which is the one we'll look at today, to Mary. So Zechariah, if nothing else, Zechariah is the ultimate religious insider. I mean, he is, he is on the, literally on the inside of the temple speaking to an angel. And so, so Gabriel goes from the ultimate religious insider to the ultimate religious outsider. And that, of course, would be Mary, where Zechariah was, was a male and he was a priest and he had influence and money. Um, Mary was poor and she was female and she was young and she had no influence. And the way Luke begins this account is he gives us Mary's credentials. Let's read verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what are Mary's credentials? So the first thing we see is that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So what is Nazareth? If you remember, there were basically Israel was divided up into six sort of regions that Herod oversaw. And Nazareth was, um, how shall I put it? Nazareth was the bad part of town. Nazareth was the place where um, it wasn't sort of, um, if you were Jewish and you lived in Nazareth, it wasn't, uh, it didn't necessarily make you unclean, but it didn't necessarily make you upwardly mobile either, if you catch my meaning. And it was basically the place where they sort of herded Gentiles that, that they didn't, that the rest of Israel didn't want to be around. And so it was a place where you would just not, it, it certainly wasn't a bastion of religious faithfulness, anything like that. In fact, remember when, when, um, the disciples meet uh, Jesus for the first time and someone goes to Andrew and says, we found Messiah. And, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? It was a proverb. It was such a bad place. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Well, that's Mary's hometown. The other thing um, we see in verse 27 is that she's a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we're going to get to the virgin thing in a minute, but, um, it's important because Luke mentions it three times. What's important for this part though, is as far as her credentials go, Luke has established three times she's a virgin. She has not known a man, but that she is also betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, what would have been involved in betrothal? Basically in Israel at the time, betrothal, the minimum age for betrothal was 12 years old. And most fathers 
tried to get their daughter betrothed as close to 12 as they could because it was more of a guarantee of her purity. And so how old was Mary? We don't know. She was, she was at least 12. She was probably no more than, than 14 or 15, maybe 16. And basically what would happen is the father and the, the bridegroom would negotiate the, the bride price and the dowry. And when they came to, to a, a deal that they were both mutually satisfied with, they would shake hands and that was it. The couple was married. It, I mean, it, they were married in such a way that it was binding. The only way the deal could be broken at that point would have been with a divorce. Now, the tricky part, at least it would be tricky for me, is that they had to wait a year before they consummated the marriage. So they, the, the father and the bridegroom would shake hands and the bride would go back to live with her parents and the bridegroom would prepare a place for her. And in a year, they would come together and they would consummate the, the marriage. And in the meantime, in that within that course of that year of course the bride was expected to remain uh, pure and, and sexually faithful to the husband who she has not even consummated the marriage with yet and so that is part of her credentials that she is not only uh, young and she's not only from a bad part of town but she's also betrothed to this man joseph which means the only way um for, for them to break that betrothal would be divorce. And you remember when he finds out she's pregnant, he being a just man th thought to divorce her, he's gonna put her away. So with all of that said, um, this announcement comes. So, so her credentials are established that she's a nobody, she's a female, she's young, no power, no influence, bad part of town. And this angel shows up and notice verse 28. It says, and he came to her, the angel Gabriel, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, this part, this passage has always um, struck me as funny in a way because remember Gabriel, who is just, he's sort of full of himself, right? Remember Zechariah asks him a question. He's like, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the very presence of God. And so this angel who stands in the very presence of God shows up to this 13 or 14 year old girl and says, greetings, O favored one. And it says that she not was troubled at the presence of an angel, but she was troubled at this saying. What was the saying? That the fact that it probably wasn't greetings, but it was probably O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, why would she be troubled by the saying, by hearing an angel say, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I think there's at least two reasons. There's one theological and one practical. Um, the theological reason, I think, is that she's poor, she's female, she's a teenager from the wrong side of town. Why would God favor her? Clearly, Mary has some She's been catechized as a child. Clearly, she knows some theology. And so she knows also she is a sinner. And so here she is, um, this, this sinful, maybe not evil, but right, just like everyone else, a normal teenager from, from a poor family in a poor part of town. And this angel shows up and it's unsettling. Why would God favor her? Um, in other words, she's, sort of, she's unsettled by grace. And I think the reason she's unsettled by grace is because 
if you understand grace, it ought always to be unsettling because grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. In, in other words, why would you give show me any favor? I don't didn't. I'm a sinner. I'm a female. I'm all like I didn't do anything to deserve it. Which, by the way, is the point. On the other hand, if grace doesn't unsettle you, and if it doesn't surprise you or me ever, um, you probably don't know yourself very well, or you're probably pretty self-righteous. You see, the more we understand ourselves, the more we understand God's grace, and the more it is unsettling, the more the more it's sort of, in some ways, is troubling. The only option to do is either to reject it or receive it, because you can't work for it. She was troubled at this saying, O favored one. I also wonder, because Mary was human, if, if the second reason she might have been troubled at this saying was just a practical reason. It, it, let me put it like this. If you're married, think about your relationship with your spouse. And if your spouse comes to you, let's assume it's my family. If my wife comes to me and says, Tommy, you know I love you, right? A hundred percent of the time, I think, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I love you, right? What comes next is usually pretty difficult. No one says, Tommy, you know, I love you, right? And you go, well, yeah. And they go, you're awesome. It's usually, you know, I love you, right? And then they lay some news on you or some kind of confrontation on you. And so I wonder if Mary, practically speaking, people don't lead by saying you're favored. The angel's coming in and sort of saying, greetings, oh, favored one. What's coming next? Is what's coming next going to be hard or is it going to be difficult? Um, she has no idea, but she's about to find out. And apparently she starts to get afraid. The angel sees that and he says, do not fear, Mary, in verse 30. Um, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And you see, pastorally speaking, I think there's, a, there's an, another reason why the angel repeats that greeting and says, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. And the reason it is, I think this, is that the angel's getting ready to deliver news to Mary that will change her life. And he's getting ready to deliver news to her that at the very least is going to make her life difficult. At the very least, it's gonna make things awkward. Um, at worst, it's going to make things deadly. I mean, the penalty for adultery was stoning. And so if things go sideways, if she gets pregnant and has a baby and people don't believe her or Joseph is an unjust man, then, then she could die. So the, so the news he is getting to deliver, he's getting ready to deliver while very glorious, practically speaking, is going to make her life very difficult. And I think what he's reminding her of is this, is that Mary, what I'm about to tell you, like, and, and all the consequences of what's coming are not because of God's displeasure with you, but because of his favor for you and toward you. In other words, all these hard things that are getting ready to happen and all this awkwardness and all of this scandal is not because God is displeased with you, but because God loves you. It's not because God wants to hurt you. It's because God wants to bless you. And that, the only way you can make it through that is to really understand that God's favor is upon me. And so that leads to a question for you and me. Do you, if you believe that God has saved you from your sins and the personal work of Jesus and that he has showed you grace, then what you can also believe 
is that all the things that happen, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, in this sad life come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And in other words, the things that are happening to us and happen to us are not because of God's displeasure with us, but because of his favor upon us, that he wants to use all the things that are happening in our life, good and bad, maybe particularly bad, um, to, toward his good glory and our good. And so I think that's what the angel is getting at as well. When he comes back again, he comes back around with that, don't be afraid, you have found God's favor. This is not about you being in trouble. This is about you being chosen for some big task. And the next thing we read is this glorious promise that he gives her um, and this glorious announcement. And it says, he says this, he says in verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Um, wow, I mean, I imagine Mary being troubled and him saying, Fake God's favor is upon you. And then out of nowhere, um, she says, you, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, why is that important? Remember when um, this pregnancy was so hard to believe for Joseph that God had to come to him in a dream and convince him that it was. And he says, you're going to, she's, your betrothed is going to have a son. His name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus was a very common name in ancient Israel. It, it, it's a derivative of Joshua or Yeshua, and it basically means God saves. And the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child and his name will be Jesus. In other words, all the other kids in Israel, the, the parents that have kids and they name their kid Jesus this year, great your kid is actually going to do what his name says. He is the one. Ever since Genesis 1, and we've been looking at the whole Bible for the past 22 weeks, and we had the, the tagline of this series is every story whispers his name. Today is the day we hear the name. The angel says, here's the name of that one, Jesus. And that means God will save his people from their sin. Your kid is going to do it, but wait, there's more. He says he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in his end of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's three things in that little formulation. One is Mary, your child is going to be divine. Your, your child is going to be the son of the most high, the son of God. Also, your son's going to be human because he's going to sit on the, th the throne of his father, David. And I love here, it, it didn't hit me till this week. I've preached this text for years because it's, you know, it's Christmas text. Um, is you also have a whisper of resurrection here at the announcement of the birth of Jesus. When the angel says that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. The only way that his kingdom can have no end is if he either A, never dies, or if he does die, he raises again from the dead. So Mary, this is going to be your child. He will be divine, he will be human, 
and he will be the one who give, has life everlasting and who will give life everlasting to those in his kingdom. And that, of course, leads to an honest question. Mary says in verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, that question is amazing when you begin to think about it. So first think about this. Remember Zechariah, when, when the angel told him, you're going to have John the Baptist, your wife is. And he says, how can I know? Right? Zechariah asks a question that is rooted in doubt. And, you know, he's, he's not sure. He doesn't know if he can trust that. He doesn't know, you know, give me some sign that, that what you're saying is actually going to happen. When Mary is given the announcement that's much greater, frankly, than Zechariah's, um, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And her question is, is not rooted in doubt. And rather, her question is, is rooted in extremely good theology and in, frankly, mechanics. Um, you see, her, her question shows that she knows exactly what Gabriel was telling her in the previous few verses. In other words, she's, when she heard that, the, that her son um, will be the Savior and that he will be the Son of the Most High and that he will reign forever on the throne of David, she apparently knew, well, that ain't going to be Joseph's kid. But like Joseph couldn't produce a child like that. Why? Well, because a, a human father and a human mother always pass on to their children sinful nature. And if this child is going to be sinless, if he's going to be uh, good enough to save his people from their sins, if he's good enough to, to reign on David's throne forever, then he can't, have, he can't be sinful, which means he has to have some other kind of parentage. And not only that, but if he's, if he's going to be both the son of God and he's going to be a human king at the same time, um, Joseph couldn't produce the son of God. And so that leads her to the mechanical question, right? So she believes that theology if you will, um, that the, because of who this child is, um, he can't have a human father. On the other hand, like, how are we going to do this? What's, what's going to happen? How is it going to happen? And that's the, what the angel tells her next in verse 35. He says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So he tells her exactly what's going to happen, that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the child to be born to you will be called holy. He will be holy and able to save his people from their sins. That he doesn't tell her this right now, and maybe she was surprised by the cross, but probably not, um, that he is going to exchange his holiness for your sinfulness. He's going to exchange um, his covenant-keeping record for your covenant-breaking record. That he, when he goes to the cross, all of this goodness that you have heard about will be taken and transferred to your account and all of your sinfulness will be given to him. That is your child and that will happen by way of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, just at this point, 
you get, you have to ask yourself, you know, one of the, the sticking points for some people of Christianity um, is, is the virgin birth. And the, the question you've got to ask yourself is, is whether your problem is with the virgin birth or is it with the kind of God who would work through a virgin birth? Because notice what the angel says in verse 37. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. He's just mentioned his her, her cousin, Elizabeth, who is barren in her old age. And there's precedent for that, right? For God um, giving children to barren old women. And when I mean old, I mean like 100, you know, like barren old women. And he says, nothing is impossible with God. And so you have to ask yourself, um, not, well, gosh, is it scientifically possible to have a virgin birth or is anything impossible for God? Those are really the two questions. And, you know, Dick Lucas is a, a a British preacher I listen to occasionally, especially when I'm trying to get a different insight. I listened to his sermon on this uh, passage, and one of the things he said, I'll try and do it in my best Dick Lucas voice. Um, he said this, he says, the improbability is not that the Son of God should take flesh by being born of a virgin, but that he should take on flesh at all. That he should take on flesh at all is the real question. And that is the real question. In other words, it, 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 the question is not whether God is willing to take on flesh, why he took on flesh through a virgin, but why he took on flesh at all. And the reason that he took on flesh at all was because of his great love for you. No other reason. It was to redeem and restore humanity. And in the process of redeeming and restoring humanity, it would redeem and restore all of creation. And so um, here's the good news. Because God was willing to be born of a woman, there's hope for any of the rest of us who are also born of women. That's why he did it, so that he could represent us to God and God to us. Charles Spurgeon had a great line in my, one of my devotions this week. He says, show me the worst specimen of humanity. And he says, if he be but born of a woman, I have hope for him. Because this child can change anybody. This child can take the worst of men and the worst of women and turn them into the best of men and the best of women. And the question is, what is Mary going to say to all this? <laughs> Answer in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So Mary's response to hearing the good news of the Savior born, in this case, through her, was to embrace it. She said, I'm in. Is it going to be hard? Yep. Going to be scandalous? Yep. Is my life going to be turned upside down? Yep. But I'm in. And the question, of course, for us is, are we in? Are you in? Are you willing to follow this one who was born of Mary? And it might mean scandal for you. It might mean hardship. It might mean difficulty. It might mean being uncomfortable sometimes. But is it worth it? Mary thought it was. I think it is. I pray that you would think it as well. Let me finish by reading to you the, the last portion of the Jesus Storybook Bible as it covered this story. And, and this, I'm picking up after Jesus has been born. And it says, Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used animals feeding trough as his cradle. 
And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray now that you would um, give those who listen to this sermon, who watch this sermon, um, encouragement, knowing that the, that they, in the exact same way as Mary, in many ways, are favored by you. If, you. if they have trusted in Jesus, it is because of your favor and your grace, and we still rely on your favor and grace daily. So I pray that you would just encourage your church, encourage your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, at this point in the service, we would typically, I would say, please stand for the doxology and people would stand for the doxology and we would sing the doxology and then we would take an offering by way of an offertory. Um, we don't do that right now, of course. We take your money to the back of the church when we meet or we'd encourage you to give online as well. Anyhow, all of you who have given, which many of you have, um, thank you so much. I pray that you continue to do that. Um, but uh, your support has been great. Your support has kept us um, afloat and better during all this uh, pandemic stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I thought I would end today with two questions. You get a bonus today from the Heidelberg Catechism. And the questions today um, are this. The first question is question 35, and it says this question. What does it mean that he, Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Answer, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a truly human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers and sisters, in every way except for sin. Question 36. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? That's the great question, right? It's one thing to know the doctrine. It's another to know how, it, what does it mean for me? And the answer is this. He is our mediator and in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness, my sinfulness in which I was conceived. Amen and amen. Let me send you from this virtual place with God's blessing, saying the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. I hope to see you all tonight at five o'clock for our Advent sing-along, and then again in person at Christmas Eve. Have a great week. God bless. Amen and amen.